Okay. Uh, Y'all are in for a big treat tonight. And uh, we have our own uh, Regina DJ with us tonight. Uh, Regina is head of our H&I uh, division at Bolden. And she's also just uh, an incredible person. Got Gotten to know her and uh, she is a incredible yogi. She is a spiritual healer. She's a cosmic queen. And she spreads love and light wherever she goes. So we're so excited to hear you, Regina. Take it away. Oh, boy. Thank you, Paul. That's a lot. That's a lot to live up to. I don't know if I can do it, but I'm up for the challenge. Um, all right. Awesome. Um, well, thank you again, Paul, for inviting me. And um, it's good to be on this meeting, on this call today, um, see lots of familiar faces and names. So, and it's been honestly, it's been it's been a it's been a hot minute since I've done a twelve step Zoom meeting. So I'm really excited, and I'm, I'm so grateful. Um, that Paul asked me to to share and, and speak speak tonight. So, yeah, my name is Regina, and I am I am an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic. I also had quite a bit of a drug problem. I used to love just sticking things up my nose for some reason. Like I had a really, <laughs> I I've had, I've had, I've had this going on for a long time, you know, and, um, I'm so grateful today. I'm so grateful for the experience of, of going through that, even though it was just, I mean, it was terrible, just absolutely inhumane, you know, and I'm so grateful to have gone through that experience and to continue on the path of recovery and um, to be able to, to share and, and to be of service. And um, it's so funny because I am, I'm like, like I said, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I don't know if, if I can live up to all that expectation, right? But, um, you know, I, when I first started telling my story and doing speaker meetings, man, like I used to, um, what do you call it? I used to binge on speaker tapes, you know, because I try to just, I mean, I'm a thief, you know, I'd, I'd binge on speaker tapes and try to get, find out like the best information, like the best lines to give to this deal. And, and today, you know, it's so interesting, you know, because Reese reminded me that this would be recorded. And I think the last time I told my story for Bolden was um, maybe about a year and a half ago. That sounds about right. And um, it'd be interesting to, to see, you know, what, what changes. And, and today, you know, it's like how I prepared for this. It's like, I went to yoga class, I took a shower, I put on a little bit of makeup, you know, I, um, I staged my house and I opened up my big book just for a little bit of inspiration. And um, let me just read this passage real quick on page 130. Those of us who have spent much time in the world of spiritual make-believe have eventually seen the childish of childishness of it. This dream world has been replaced by a great sense of purpose accompanied by a growing consciousness of the power of God in our lives. We have come to believe he would like us to keep our heads in the clouds with him, but that our feet ought to be firmly planted on earth. That is where our fellow travelers are, and that is where our work must be done. These are the realities for us. We have found nothing incompatible between a powerful spiritual experience and a life of sane and happy usefulness. Like that's so on point for me. You know what I mean? It's like it just opened up the book and bam, there it was, you know, and um, that really speaks to me, you know, and, and thank you so much, Paul, for your introduction. Like I said, um, you know, the, the, the thing about this program for me and I think, you know, why it is so successful is once I, you know, it wasn't just about stopping drinking, you know, it's like I had to stay stopped. I had to stay stopped and I had to get connected with the power greater than myself. And once that happens, it's like the magic truly like 
like the juiciness of this program, you know, and the juiciness of life really begins to come through because I'm not thinking about drugs and alcohol anymore. You know what I mean? I'm doing things that make me feel alive, right? And so that, you know, and, and that, that can be anything, you know, different strokes for different folks, you know? But that is like the main core of this deal. When we talk about the fucking problem, the fucking problem is that you are obsessed with fucking alcohol and you are obsessed that you are going to beat the game somehow, you know? And we try to beat the game by like, you know, relationships or like just some freaking control issue, you know, whatever it is, right? But like deep down inside, like, are we happy, you know? And I think like that's, you know, I'm like in this beautiful phase of my development right now where I'm truly doing things that make me feel happy, that feed my spirit, you know? And what a beautiful passage because this speaks to the spiritual. I mean, I do a lot of spiritual make-believe, right? Like I love the spiritual make-believe, but this brings me back to like what my purpose is. My purpose is to carry a message and to be of light and hope, you know? Like, man, like I feel bad for people who are in the program for some time and never quite get it. You know, it breaks my heart that they never quite get it, that this is a program about connection. This is a spiritual program that connects us to something greater than ourselves. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have your problems. It's like, man, I have problems. You know, I got problems. I'm, I'm by no means perfect. I don't do this thing perfectly. Right. But the thing is, it's like that my quality of life today is just so fulfilling. It is so fulfilling. And that is that is the gift. That is the message that I truly want to share today. You know, I mean, I came out angry. I came out the womb angry. I didn't even want to come out. I was like two weeks late, you know, and they had it. My mother had an induced labor. It was like 72 hours. I did not want to come out and play with you guys. You know, like that. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I've been, I've been miserable since the jump. And, you know, another thing about me on, on, on this path is, and I still remember this from a young age, I was the kind of kid who would get up in the medicine cabinet or like go through my mom's purse and like gobble up like, you know, medicine, you know, I would, I would eat up like all the um, chi- children's Tylenol and drink the, the cough syrup. And I would, you know, I ate like a whole bottle of Flintstone vitamins one time, you know, like I've had this for some time. And, and I think, you know, it's like looking back on that really in my, my small little brain, right. And I still got a small little brain, my small little brain, you know, put those two things together that like, you know, I'm sure my mother gave me some medicine that like it changed the way that I felt, you know, and that's always kind of like, you know, what, where, where this disease is, is like, I am not fucking comfortable in my skin, you know? And so, like I said, we, we try out all different things. I tried out all different things, you know? So, you know, so just a little bit more about myself, my background, you know, my, my family is, um, I, I was born to uh, immigrant, immigrant family, immigrant parents, you know, who did the best that they could, you know, and um, that's a lot of part of my story because I had a lot of identity issues, you know, and, I, and um, I'm still working through that. Right. But I had uh, a lot of identity issues. I didn't really quite fit in. You know, I wasn't I wasn't Asian enough. I wasn't Hispanic enough. I, I wasn't whatever, you know, and um, and then you know, my, my mother remarried and um, she remarried this man, you know, who, who is my dad. You know, he's my stepfather, but he's my father. And God bless this man because he saved my life. You know, he married my mother, I think, when I was about three or four years old. That's how I ended up here in Austin. Uh, I think it was like 86, 87, something like that. So um, I can't I can't rag on people who are from Austin too much because I'm a transplant myself. And um, and yeah, you know, typical childhood, upper middle class. Um, I grew up in South Austin. 
And um, from a young age, you know, I'm not gonna lie, like I, I was, I was always told I was brilliant, you know, and I never, I never quite got it. Like I was always terrible at um, receiving compliments. I used to try to act dumb, like dumber than I was in, in school and everything. And um, but yeah, I just continued to shine through. And um, you know, also you know, a dancer, uh, debate team, all of this, and and going, you know, and that's so the typical kind of stuff. You know, kind of introduced to to weed at like 12, 13 years old. Really wasn't that big of a deal. And then um, the heavy drinking really started in high school. You know, because I was so successful as a student in high school that part of it, you know, was like getting away with drinking at unlike a like that's probably the reason why I joined joined debate like the second reason first reason is I love arguing second reason was the out of town trips I could drink and act the fool as much as I wanted to and I felt like I deserved it because I was an A plus student you know I was so active I did everything my parents wanted me to do and it, it, I could let loose you know what I mean I could let loose I could flirt with all the boys and not feel bad about it you know and and uh, and just be wild and crazy and, and all of that so you know, that's really where that taste of alcohol really came in. And then it kind of just, you know, kind of just continued from there. You know, I went, I went to UT and um, I was, <laughs> I went, I went through a period of time where I was so depressed. Like, I think it was the second, like, you know, the first two years of uh, university were, were so depressing for me. I think it just, the classes were way too big. And, and I found my tribe. My tribe was a, was a, fraternity and sorority basically of, of, of Asian students and we used to love to party and I and I talked about this in a in a an in-person meeting um I really do have an allergy to alcohol you know and I saw people who really truly had a physical allergy you know I don't know if y'all know this but a lot of Asian folks um people of Asian descent have uh they're missing some kind of enzyme that breaks down the alcohol and so I know I would, I would, my face would really get really red and my lips would even get swollen up. And I remember, you know, one time I came home and um, from partying all night and my mom told me like, I had an allergy to out, like you have an allergy, just like your father, the same thing happens to your father's face gets super red. And, um, and I felt like I outgrew that, right? Like somehow I outgrew that. I still, I could still drink and look super cute and I got away with it. And so that's another thing too, like, you know, I'm not going to lie. Like being good looking and intelligent and young, get we get away with a lot of stuff. Like I got away with so much stuff, you know? And then so we just kind of like continued to progress, you know, these kind of like up and down mood swings, never not, not feeling quite good enough, all of that. And, um, you know, and then I was introduced to, you know, to queen cocaine, you know, I was introduced to queen cocaine. I was a, a go-go dancer. At, um, this was during um, the 2000, early 2000s when, um, like dance electronic music hit the scene in Austin. So I was dancing in all the clubs, just like, you know, just big old party girl, big old party girl, just having the time of her life, flunking out of college, doing all, all kinds of crazy things, introduced to cocaine. Oh boy, I had the best time, I had the best time. And um, had some really screwed up relationships and I did a few geographicals. I actually, I ran away um, and I went to go work for Disney World actually. Um, the Disney World Scout came out. I was doing a lot, bunch of different entertainment stuff and they asked me to come out and work for them um, for D Walt Disney World Entertainment in Orlando, Florida. So I was there for a few years and um, you know, found, found, found people who, who drank who drank and, and used like the way that I did. And we were a mess, you know, if you can imagine like Pocahontas and Mary Poppins like smoking weed during their, their breaks. You know, between between um, hanging out and taking pictures with kids and being up on stage and doing all that stuff and, and then going to um, Treasure Island, you know, right after work or on the weekend and just getting blasted like blackout 
blasted and not knowing how we came home the next day. You know, and I would show up to, I would show up on the Disney bus. You have to take a little trolley from the, from the, um, from the parking lot into like, you know, Disney, Disney world, like, you know, where you enter and I would come in and I'm this big old sunglasses and like two big cans of rock star, you know, and that's what I thought I was. I thought I was a fucking rock star, you know, and I, I would go, you know, just put all my makeup on and, and go do, you know, an eight hour shift and smile and, and play make believe all day long, you know, and it, and it, it worked, you know, it, it worked for a long time. It got me through that. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I was pretty miserable probably. You know, especially towards the end, I was pretty miserable. And, and I came back back home to Austin and and just kind of continued on my, my little merry way of, um, of, um, of alcoholism and, and drug use. And, you know, my my uh, my plans just kept getting bigger, basically. You know, my plans kept getting bigger and um, I was in a relationship with for, with somebody for a very long time, about 15 years. And uh, it was just, you know, a lot of codependency. Like that's kind of how I used to do relationships. I would find somebody who would enable my bad behavior, you know? And, um, and I was, that, that's kind of how it was, you know, is, um, is I've never had any responsibilities. You know, I would go to school and it really wouldn't be my thing. I finally graduated. Right. But, um, but, you know, it was always, it was like, what can I get from you? You know, and so I ended up in these relationships, you know, where um, it totally enabled my behavior. You know, I got away, like I said, I got away with a lot of stuff. Did I go see beautiful things and, and you know, hang out with beautiful people? Yes, I did. I sure did. You know, I sure did. And I get to, um, to you know, to, to enjoy that experience and look back on that. But, but deep down inside, you know, I really didn't like myself. I struggled with an eating disorder, you know, for a very long time, you know, and that still kind of comes up for me too. And, um, and yeah, so. I mean, I just would just, like I said, just blast through relationships um, as long as it served a purpose for me. And um, and then, you know, there towards the end, probably like towards the end, like, you know, like the four or five years before I started, before the end of my drinking, um, you know, I like left, left, left this man I was with um, and it was, it was due, it was overdue, but it was like my first time having an apartment and, um, and I was making lots of money as a, um, as a esthetician at the time. And I would just blow through that paycheck, like literally blow through that paycheck. And um, I, I couldn't, I wouldn't make it into work. And of course, you know, just, it, you know, I, I've, I've lost, the, lost that job and, and was struggling, how, you know, struggling to make money. And, and this is the juicy part. This is, this is like where the, it got real, this is where it gets really juicy, okay? So, um, you know, I started airbnb um, at this little studio apartment and I started airbnb it because I couldn't pay the rent. And um, I would, and I had, I had no business doing that, you know, as a, as a single woman um, with a dog, you know, I was completely defenseless, you know, and so just people coming through there and um, somehow I got involved with, um, with these two girls and, um, and I got, I ended up getting them hotel rooms. And so it kind of it became a business for me. I was running girls for a little bit, um, and in looking back on that, that's probably something that's, um, you know, I, I definitely it's on my it's on my fourth step, fourth and fifth step, right? Because um, looking back, I can see that a couple a couple of these girls were underage girls, you know. Um, so, you know, yeah, um, that that's part of my my bad history right there. Um, yeah, you know, um, like I said, just the in the just that's the kind of depths that this disease will take you to, you know? And I didn't think anything of it because I was helping these women that, you know, at the time, that's what I thought, but I was really, what I was trying to do was like build this empire. And, and, um, and I got really big into, into the, into the drug game. I got really big in like running girls, running guns. 
And um, I just found the right people. You know, I, I found the right people. I found the right people who, who weren't going to get caught, you know, who'd been doing this for a while. Right. And so I played I played gangster. I played gangster for a few years, you know, and it was fun. It was really fun because it fed my ego and it allowed me so much fucking control. I could have all the drugs I want. I could have all the everything that I wanted. And people, people also, you know, when people are tied to doing drugs, they will, they will do anything, you know? And I thought it was responsible because I was the kind of drug dealer who was like, you better show up this time, have my money straight. And, you know, all your shit's all laid out. Like, there's no time for like, you know, having a conversation. It was just like business. You know, I thought it was responsible because I kept my appointments as a drug dealer. Like that's, that's kind of messed up, you know? Um, but that's the kind of delusion I was living in. You know, it's the kind of delusion I was living in. And like I said, it was all it was all to fuel some lifestyle that I felt like I was entitled to, you know, that I was entitled to. And not only that, but some sort of lifestyle that like I felt like other people wanted to see, you know, um, so that, you know, that was kind of a mess and um, lots of mess, actually. And, uh, you know, and after a while, it's like, you know, the gangbangers got too much, like the bikers got too much, all of that. And I actually, you know, I, I met a gentleman who um, saved my life, honestly. And, um, and, you know, he, for whatever reason, he just took a shining to me. We had a really great relationship for, you know, over two years. And, but here we go again, you know, I was totally enabled by this. This person nearly loved me to death, enabled me and, you know, got me out of that game. But I had a little studio apartment in in, Zil in the Zilker area, and I'm I'm back in Zilker, by the way. They let me back in here for some reason. But um, God came to me really in, in the form of a mental health officer. I like saying that because He did. Um, so I was I had no business again, just um, dealing drugs out of my house, um, having all kinds of people in that neighborhood. And it was a like a, a weekday morning, and people were getting ready to go to work, like people walking their dogs and pushing buggies with their kids and then like jogging before work. And here I am on the front yard in my underwear, um, whacked out of my mind, you know, complete uh, DT psychosis, throwing stuff at people in the neighborhood, be like good, honest people just going on with their day, you know, getting their day started. And I'm, I'm here throwing, you know, throwing things at them in my underwear, uh, trash my apartment, just, you know, just screaming wild like a banshee. And of course, you know, um, cops are called, mental health officer came. And thank God they didn't come into my um, my little studio because I had like over half a kilo of cocaine, plus all kinds of other stuff that would absolutely, um, you know, put me away for a long time. And I already had a um, I already had some legal issues with that because I've been through these rooms. I share about this sometimes like I've been through these rooms where um, court ordered, um, you know, for for intent to distribute, you know, and I had like over like 20, 28 grams of cocaine or something like that on me. And um, you know, I was on probation, did that and drug court sent me to sent me to AA and, and, and CA and I'd been, I'd, I'd been through Bolden, but I was just there to get paper signed, you know, like my life just continued to, to go out of control. But um, anyways, that was, that was with that one. But, um, but yeah, um, so, so towards the end, you know, I had like multiple stabilizations, you know, and then that, that was like a big one. I went to uh, Cross Creek up in North Austin and oh my God, I, I was so dramatic. It was so terrible for me. And of course I lied about everything, you know, and um, I couldn't go back to my apartment and, and thank God my parents let me come back to their house. And from their house, I continued to terrorize my parents, you know, um, and I was really on a mission to kill myself those last two months of drinking. Um, I would, you know, I'd, I'd try to drink like a handle of vodka a day and I nearly got close to killing myself, to dying. Um, and the, 
the uh, the doctors were, were calling me, trying to get me to come in because my I had some blood results that were just terrible. Like, you know, my neutrophils were like zero. All my blood count was like zero. I looked like shit, y'all. Like I was like 72 pounds. I had self-harm all up and down my body. Um, I cut my hair off, like total, like buzz cut, pixie cut um, in a fit of, of uh, delusion. And, um, and I was just miserable. And I was making everybody in my, in my parents' house miserable. I was even mean to my dog, you know? Um, it, it was, it was rough. It was really rough. And, um, I, I kind of had to take it to that, to those depths in order for me to get it because I felt so sorry for myself. I didn't, I could not see past myself that I was killing myself and that I had to take responsibility for it. And it's not like the people around me who, you know, told me that, I mean, they loved me. They, they tried their hardest, but at the end of the day, I was the one who had to make that decision, you know? And even when I think about it like that, it's like, I couldn't even make that decision. Like that was God's grace. You know, that was truly God's grace that saved me because I say it to this day. It was the most honest prayer I've said in my entire life. And it was God, please help me. I don't want to die. You know, I was crawling on my hands and knees. I was in so much pain. Um, you know, I was so bloated, jaundiced. I was dying. My gums were like black, you know, my tongue, my tongue was like, I nearly chewed off my tongue you know, and that was two months of trying to drink a handle of vodka a day and just, Ooh, I know, my he gets mad when I tell this story, he gets mad. Um, stop. I'm talking. Um, but yeah. And, uh, and so stop. And so I, I finally, uh, you know, surrendered. I was finally beaten by the bottle and um, had several trips to the emergency room and I wouldn't stay, you know, they'd put the lines in and I'm the kind of drunk who would pull the lines out and start walking, walking down the door, you know, and I'd have, I'd have a bottle of vodka waiting for me when I got home, you know, like that happened like four or five times, you know, towards the end. And then uh, finally, you know, I I don't know, like it was just kind of repeated, repeated. My, 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 my dad was just, was there to just, um, when I was ready to go to take me into the hospital. And so I made it to, um, I made it actually to a place called Austin Recovery. Um, I don't even think they're open anymore. Um, I made it there and I, they wouldn't take me. They wouldn't admit me because I was a rest. My, my blood, my, not only was my blood alcohol so high, but like my, 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 my urine was full of pee and I was uh, full of pee. My urine was full of pee. Imagine that my urine was full of blood and, um, I was a fall risk and, um, they suggested I go to the ER and I made it to, um, uh, the new, the new Seton downtown. And I got there and in just the nick of time, you know, I was there for two weeks and ICU for two weeks. I had four blood transfusions and like looking back on that, like my brain still can't still can't comprehend how, how, how this was okay for me and how I didn't think I had a problem. So speaking of which, like the doctors in there saved my life, you know, um, the staff in there saved my life. The doctor was like, look, Regina, like after a bunch of tests, you know, they stuck all kinds of tubes in my mouth and my butt, you know, cause I was, I was dying, you know, they wanted to see if I had ulcers and, and things like that. But the doctor was like, look, Regina, like, like, luckily, like, we don't think you're going to have any irreversible damage, but you, you're going to have to stop drinking. And I thought it was a fucking joke, you know, and, I, and I'd heard that before, right? I heard that before that, like, oh, you should slow down in your drinking, but I'd never, and, you know, and, and somebody would say, like, oh, you, you, you know, you, you got to stop drinking, but, but the way that this doctor said it was just, I don't know, I was maybe just in a place to receive it somewhat, um, 
and I thought he was, you know, like I said, I, I thought he was joking and he had mentioned AA and I'd said like, yeah, you know, I'd done that before um, court order. And he's like, yeah, you know, a lot of people have a lot of success with this, you know, with, with AA. And, um, and I sat and thought about it. And then I thought, and then I re- what I really thought was I deserved and was entitled to go to treatment. And so treatment saved my life. Um, I went, I went to a really nice facility, a beautiful facility in Georgetown. And that place absolutely saved my life. Um, the, the gentleman that I was in a relationship with, uh, you know, paid for me to be there. And um, man, I'm so lucky. Man, I'm so fucking blessed. And I was a terrible client while I was there. I was, I had no gratitude. I was such a bitch. I was like the worst client. I was a terrorist. I would have, I would have night terrors and, and, um, and just scare the heck out of everybody. But, you know, throughout that experience, right, of being so dangerously antisocial, that's how I really got into the literature. You know, I really got into the literature while I was there in treatment. And not only that, the staff there was just amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I felt invested in it at that point. You know, I think I felt more invested in the solution, though, and the solution that's offered in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I wasn't really, I hadn't really bought into myself yet. You know, because I wanted to be able to thump a big book and sound like I knew what I was talking about and have power and have, you know, have authority and all those kinds of things. But I really wasn't connecting to what this is really about, which is like connecting with myself and connecting to my purpose and connect, you know, staying connected to my higher power, you know. And so I went through a little phase like that, you know, but thank God that like that, um, you know, God's grace got me to a place like that facility like that. And I did the whole um, suggestion of, of going through sober living. And I lived in sober living for quite some time and um, was a sober living manager. And, and um, you know, I still, like I said, I, I still had a, I was still holding a lot of resentment around um, not being able to drink and, or if people or other people could drink. Cause I remember I just gotten out of treatment, stop Romulus, but I just gotten out of treatment and um, I went to brunch with my folks and uh, there were, you know, everybody, I mean, all I could see was mimosas and Bloody Marys. And I was pissed off. I was so pissed off. I was like throwing stuff at people. I was so pissed off because they were enjoying themselves. You know, I would, I would uh, be in the car crossing like, you know, the South Lamar Bridge and see people out on Town Lake. And I fucking hated them. I couldn't understand why they were having so much fun in life and I couldn't, you know? And that's the kind of like sadness that I think the isolation, the sadness, the disconnection that really happens with like untreated alcoholism. And that was me like for months early in this deal, you know? Like I said, it hadn't really quite gotten it yet, you know? Hadn't really quite gotten it yet, but um, thank God that, you know, I stuck through and I had, I had, a, I, have a, I have a beautiful sponsor. I have a wonderful sponsor. You know, this group saved my life, you know, because I used to come into this group and try to just rip everybody a new one with a big book. Like that was my mission, you know? And um, y'all probably thought it was cute though, you know, <laughs> because y'all let me come back. Um, but it, it, that's really what it was, is like the community of, of healthy sobriety around me that I wasn't at that time, like I wasn't, I wasn't fully receiving of, I couldn't accept it. I couldn't, and not only that, I couldn't accept that, that God really did love me or the universe really did love me and that the universe was conspiring to get me everything I want. You know, like there's this, this belief, like that's really where for me, like the true disease is, is the dis-ease, the dis-ease of like feeling separate and of feeling unworthy 
of having like this happy, joyous and free kind of life. You know, like I used to say that a lot in a meeting, you know, I used to talk about that, like happy, joyous and free, but I really wasn't living it, you know, because I'm performative. Like I, if you can tell I'm very performative, you know? And so I like, I like giving, I like giving people what they like, what I think they need to hear what they want to hear, but I really hadn't accepted it for myself, you know? And so I'm so grateful for this summer because this summer has been like, I had declared it like my summer of self-healing, you know? And I'm, I'm so, and, and Paul mentioned this earlier that, you know, I'm a yoga, yoga instructor, I'm a yogini. And, um, you know, I never thought that I would go back to teaching yoga or, you know, practicing yoga, let alone teaching yoga. But I did, I had a really profound experience while I was in treatment. And I was, a, I was, a, I was so unreliable because I was always high and, and, and just, you know, entitled and all that shit. But, um, but yeah, like I said, you know, once, once the real problem is removed, the obsession surrounding alcohol and, and drugs and the obsession of just trying to change everything, I really start getting tapped in and connected. And it opens up like beautiful opportunities, like higher possibilities for me to really truly connect, you know, and yoga is another one of those tools for me that I use to connect, you know, it gets me back into my mind, you know, body, spirit gets me connected. And not only that, but it just, it's, it's so healing for me. And I have, I have, I really do. I have the privilege of like using that as a tool to, to heal other people. Um, I have a lot of clients in the recovery community and it's just, it's been such a blessing. And, um, you know, but I always go, I always go back to the big book, you know, like I would not have the kind of, the kind of freedom that I have today to try out all these new spiritual things. Cause I do, like I said, I, I play a lot of spiritual make-believe. I would not have that kind of freedom if, um, if I hadn't worked the 12 steps with Alcoholics Anonymous, if I had not um, got connected to a higher power, this continuously growing, you know? And that's really what it's been about for me is once I stopped growing in this deal and once I, you know, put my neck, put my foot on the neck of what I think God looks like. And I start, you know, just putting myself in a box, that's really when I get like, so uncomfortable, you know? So that's what really what my summer has been about is just like self-healing, healing others, finding purpose, finding connection. And uh, it's just been a beautiful experience. Like, I mean, I'm like the happiest I've been in my entire life, you know? And, and not only that, but like, I'm, I feel so tapped in to like my authentic self where you know, I didn't have that, you know, like despite all of the drugs, despite all of the money, all of the friends, the trips, all of the things that like, you know, like society or like in the third dimension tells us like is what qualifies you to be a happy, happy, successful person. You know, I had all of that and I felt so empty inside, you know, today, like, yeah, like I still struggle with, um, I'm healing, healing a lot of, uh, you know, financial insecurity, you know, um, I'm continuing on this path. I'm, I'm healing through generational trauma, of course, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm going through all of that. And and uh, I uh, I still have to fold my laundry from like a week ago, you know, <laughs> like things like that. So I'm definitely still human for sure, 100. Um, percent But I really I'm so grateful for this life that I have today and the opportunity to feel emotions because that's another reason why I drank and used the way that I. And I did because, you know, feelings were so uncomfortable for me, you know, feelings are so uncomfortable for me. And, um, and now, you know, I do, I, I give myself that permission to get vulnerable and um, to feel feelings and feel emotions. Because if not, it's like I'm jipping myself, you know, it's like I'm robbing myself of having a human experience when I don't allow myself to feel sadness, when I don't allow myself to feel happiness and joy and love. You know, it's like when I 
when I constrict myself like that, it's like, I do, I, I rob myself of this beautiful experience that is just so rich and rewarding. And so if there's anything, any mess, I don't know if there was a message in there. Cause I know I, I carry a message, but I carry a mess also. So, <laughs> it's a, but it's a happy mess, you know, it's a hot mess. And, um, if anything, you know, that's always like the message that I, I want to leave with people is that, you know, your like your sobriety is, is, is so worth it. Like your life is worth it. And, um, you know, and, and we do, we trudge through this man. we trudge through this. Like I trudge through this. And sometimes it doesn't feel very comfortable, but thank God for the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and for other alcoholics who, who really get this deal. You know, my world is so big now. It's like, I don't just hang out with people in recovery. It's like, you know, all different types of people. But at the end of the day, it's like when I get to look eye to eye and like knee to knee with like a sponsee or my sponsor, my sponsee sister, or be in a room of, of like Bolden, I feel at home and I feel at peace and I can really be, you know, who, who I want. And like, that's what, that's how, that's why they say, they call it growing up in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and I hope I continue to keep growing in this deal because it feels so good y'all. And um, I think that's it. I think I'm complete. Thank you.